training the complete athlete, gaining the performance edge with Coach Koss. To find out more, go to trainthecompleteathlete.com. So it's kind of crazy to believe that I'm already at my 10th podcast. And it's even crazier to think that you guys really don't know who I am. Uh, some people do that I've coached along the way or been teammates with or been friends with. But I figured for this 10th podcast, it was about time that I give a little insight to what I bring to athletics and my athletic experience and why I even started this podcast. Uh, I've been in the world of sports my whole life. I grew up in a really small town. Uh, of 20,000 people in Southern Oregon, and pretty much the whole focus of the world there was football. Uh, and I was a three-sport athlete, and back then, if you weren't a three-sport athlete, uh, that meant you pretty much weren't an athlete at all. Uh, that was kind of the expectation. And uh, the name Cause actually comes from my uh, main name, Cause Durka, and my brother, uh, they called him Cause Forever. And so when I went to middle school, uh, they started calling me Cause as well. And it's funny, I'm 41 now, and I still have people call me Cause, um, especially a lot of the, the players that I coached and different athletes that were um, in my life. So it almost was kind of bizarre to switch over to carry when I switched professions and, and left coaching. So growing up in a small town, um, it was kind of you did a couple of things. You either hunt and fish, uh, drink or, or be an athlete. And some people did all three, but I was a very focused, very serious um, athlete and student. I played uh, soccer and I played basketball and I played softball. Uh, basketball was something just to kind of connect the seasons. I'm five foot three, so that was never my passion. Um, I love soccer because it was physical and I grew up playing soccer um, and I had great experiences through elementary school, actually playing for my dad. So I know what it is to play for a parent. And honestly, my dad is one of the best coaches I've ever had, even though he didn't coach or didn't play soccer. He was a football player, but he knew what it was to coach and he knew what it was to connect with kids. And he was very successful. And uh, I never say thank you to my dad for that. So I'm going to do that publicly. Um, thank you for probably being the best coach I've ever had. And uh, I played softball, but softball in my hometown was not taken very seriously. Um, the field I played next to was one of the greatest um, Legion baseball fields in the country, and they hosted World Series um, multiple times, and my brother actually got to play there. But right next to it was this beat-up church league field, and that's where I played. Um, and I thought it was the greatest thing probably until I was a junior, and I realized uh, it was killing my body. But So I played those three sports up until my junior uh, through my junior season. And nobody ever talked about getting recruited. And recruiting was very different back then. Um, nobody even really talked about club teams. I, I joined a, a club team at 14, and nowadays that would be considered crazy late. Um and I wanted to play in college, but I didn't really know what that would look like. And I was very fortunate that this woman fell out of the sky and she had played with some of the best softball players um, in the world. And she kind of took me under her wing, even though she was our pitching coach. Um, and she connected uh, me to the head coach at University of Oregon. And her name at the time, the coach at that time, was her name was Tammy Brown. And I went to my very first camp at the University of Oregon at 14 years old. And I fell in love with it instantly. I fell in love with Tammy um, as a coach. And I just love the, the vibe and the feel of the University of Oregon, um, so the softball program. And uh, I also was switching over to wanting to be an architect. So it seemed like a perfect situation. And 
so going into that experience, I became all about training to be a duck, wanting to be a duck. Um, I left my hometown to play for a summer team out of Eugene, and that was a scandal. Um, people did not leave their hometown, uh, even though there was no team for me to play on anymore. So I, I was fortunate to play for a team called the Wat- or the Oregon Lady Hawks, um, and the head coach there, ironically, was a counselor. He was a therapist, and I thought that was kind of weird that my head coach was a therapist, um, but I loved my experience there. It's one of the best times of my life in the world of athletics. Um, it was also one of the most challenging because I came from being in this little town to playing with kids that were very experienced and, and they knew what it was to go on to college. And, and I love living and playing in that environment. So I drove an hour to Eugene and I stayed with some, uh, fr- uh one of the coaches who became very good friends, um, at their house. Uh, and so I could play through the weekend and, the re- the relationships I built out of that program and the things I learned followed me or still are with me in my adulthood. And I know so much of my coaching style is from that program. It was so focused on having fun, being great teammates, um, and buying into the program. And I think those three things are some of the most important things to have a successful team, to have a great experience. And I also think those are the three probably biggest components that are no longer in youth sports. And when I reflect back on my experience of softball, I think of my time playing club as probably the most influential to who I am now as a probably a, a parent, a, a coach, a therapist. And it's not just because I played for a therapist coach, uh, which didn't didn't uh, hurt me at all. But it really exposed me to what I value as far as sports and teams and family and what I was there to learn. And so I was lucky to play for them for two summers and I was uh, ready to sign with the University of Oregon. The dream was about to come uh, true. And I got a phone call from one of my high school teammates and she's like, you need to turn on the news. And I was like, this is Roseburg, dude, nothing happens. But it had been announced that the head coach at Oregon, Tammy Brown, had resigned. And I did not even know what to do with myself. The dream was no longer. um, I didn't know where to even start. And so luckily, Tammy, being the wonderful human being she is, she uh, we had a phone call and she goes, I will help you get to where you want to go. And I was like, but I want to go to Oregon. And it was interesting because I, I met the new incoming coach at Oregon and instantly knew it was not a fit for me. Um, his goals were not, or his priorities were not my priorities. And I just had this vibe that I did not belong here. And so I looked at different schools, Arizona, Arizona state, um, uh, for this Northwest kid, it was too Brown there. Um, and at UW, and I knew that at the time that coaching staff was not uh, probably a match for me either. So a kid growing up in PAC 12 country is sitting there going, the PAC 12 dream is gone. And what are we going to do? And, um, I was actually at a soccer game playing soccer for high school. And, and after the game, my mom grabbed me and she goes, well, um, so you want to know where the Oregon assistant went? Cause I was like, okay, well I'll go where she goes or hopefully I can and hook up with them. And my mom looked at me and she said, the university of Utah, And I look at her, I go, yeah, that's so not happening. I'm not moving to Utah. Um, You know, it's not Pac-12. It freaking snows there. Like, no. And 
later that weekend, I actually got a phone call from the University of Utah from that assistant coach, Angie Jacobs, that I'm grateful for every day that she called. And she said, hey, we want you to come check it out. And I just kind of said, "Okay, well, yeah, I'll come check it out Um, because they also had architecture program. So I I got on a plane and ironically, the uh, the person I was sitting next to was the pitcher from our arch rival who ended up becoming one of my very dear friends. And it was crazy to see this experience because I had fallen in love with a school in, in, in such a big way at University of Oregon. But to step on the campus at Utah, I knew that that was truly the place that I needed to be. And I met their head coach and um, I instantly had a great relationship. Her name was Mona Stevens. And I went through that visit and had a great time and loved the culture of that program and loved how the coaches were. And I remember stopping at my summer ball teams, um, my coach's house, and he looked at me and he goes, this is it. And I said, this is it. And it's funny now when I look back and think, do I regret making that choice? Should I have held out? You know, and it wasn't until 20 years later that I went back to Oregon's campus for the first time. And I walked on the campus in that love affair I had wasn't there. But every time I walk on that Utah campus, even now when I take my kids back to it, I even get emotional thinking about it because it always has felt like home. And I'm so grateful that that's how recruiting worked out. And I say to recruits all the time when things don't go their way, that recruiting works out the way it should work out. So I left uh, high school, which I was desperate to leave. Um, I'm not a small town kid, I've learned, and I wanted to play at that level. I love softball. Um, the only thing that ever I could say I loved more at that time was my family and God. And softball was the thing. Uh, so, you know, school was very important to me, but it wasn't like I loved doing, you know, math equations or things like that. So I went off to Utah. And it was an awesome experience and one of the most challenging and awful experiences at the same time. You know, my freshman year, uh, we had eight freshmen and uh, my poor head coach, she she had just taken the job. And so she was transitioning and she was following up somebody that had been very successful. Another wonderful woman named Joe Evans, who had taken the job at Texas A&M. So I'm watching this person and I, I didn't realize it at the time I was 18 years old, but I'm watching this person make the transition. And I love my head coach, so I didn't think that the transition was difficult. But now when I look at it, all my teammates had played for the other person. It was difficult. Because it doesn't matter who the next person is. It's not the person you sign with. And that is very difficult for a lot of people. But I, you know, I love the team that I was I was given. I also learned very quickly that I did not look at softball the same way as most of my teammates. You know, I thought when I got to the D1 level, everybody was going to love softball as much as I did. And my brother, who was also playing college athletics, also, he was a baseball player at Willamette University, And he was obsessed with baseball and he and I just, you know, we were very close because we had this passion for our sport. And I remember going running with one of my teammates and my first couple weeks of school. And she said, I wish I loved softball as much as you do. And I almost stopped running because I did not even understand that comment because I figured we had trained so long and so hard to get to this level. How can you not love it? 
But I also grew up in Southern Oregon and she grew up in Southern California. And in Southern California, she had been playing travel ball since she was 10 and she was tired and she was worn out. And I am impressed every day when I think that she did finish out her four years and then she played after because I knew that she, you know, facing softball every day was not the joy necessarily that I felt when I got to go to the field. So my freshman year, uh, one of the biggest challenge, A, being away from home, you know, I'm, I, I was close to my family. Uh, two, I, I moved into a community that was very different spiritually. I went to Catholic school with the nuns and went to mass every Sunday and I moved into a very different religious culture. And that was definitely an eye opener for me. I went from a town of 20,000 people to a university of 28,000 people and everybody knowing my name to nobody knowing who I was, which that in my opinion was awesome. I'm not a big snow kid. So the snow, eh, I could take it or leave it. And I started traveling all the time with my team. And so there was so much transition and so many new things. And I went, I originally got recruited to play second base and they had a third baseman leave. And so I went from going, yep, I'm going to play second base. That's going to be my job to you're going to play third as well. And that was a big adjustment. I, I did play third in, in, in club and I loved it. But third base at the division one level is you have to be a little bit insane insane. Um, it is very scary. And, and, you know, I was playing, uh, during the years of some of the best Olympians in, in, in history. So I'm like, okay, I, I this little kid is going to get the crap knocked out of her, uh, by a four time, uh, all American and, and a two time Olympian. But I was challenged all the time and I wanted to learn as much as I could. And even early in that first year, my head coach pulls me in and she goes, we want you to coach after you graduate. And I'm sitting here going, this is the craziest comment I've ever heard. I can be a serial killer. You have no idea really who I am in the big, bigger picture. But I was so lucky for her to grab me early because she really mentored me to look at the game as a coach. And I was always that nerd thinking about softball all the time. Uh, I remember her coming to practice one day and she said, Oh man, I was thinking of a drill at like three o'clock in the morning. And then I was sitting there thinking, who else is thinking about softball at three o'clock in the morning? And then everybody looked at me and I was like, yeah, that's true. I probably was that kid. So I went through my freshman year, ups and downs, being clueless and terrified all at the same time. You know, some minor injuries, but nothing big. And, and I was so excited to come back for my sophomore year and have a year under my belt. I actually went back to coach my club team. And it's one of those things that you can never go home again. And it was really hard to be there that summer. I, I had some teammates that I got to return with. Um, one of my dearest friends and teammates was still playing, two of them actually. So it was great to spend time with them. But I started seeing what happens in youth sports when coaches' agendas change and when players' behavior can impact even the coaching staff. And I was fortunate to have two uh, coaches, my head coach and my assistant coach, are two people I really respected and very much cared for. And watching that divide happen was really difficult because I know how much they cared about each other. And when I look at it from an adult's perspective, I look at it through the coach's perspective and think, wow, it's amazing how some parents and athletes can destroy something that is such an amazing program. And the Hawks no longer existed. The name was taken by a team called the Washington Lady Hawks, and they've continued to be very successful. But I watched these two people separate and never cross paths again. And we were, as players and as even assistants, we were kind of put in a, in a, a light of whose side are you on? And that was very challenging. Um, I, I It even came up at my wedding of who do I invite? And that was almost an impossible decision. Um, so it really does resonate that 
relationships that can happen in club teams and behavior in club teams can be catastrophic and people need to be much more watchful when it comes to those things. Anyway, going back to college, my sophomore year, um, I started making, uh, I moved into a dump apartment, which I think every sophomore does because they just pick the, the easiest thing. And I, uh, I actually lived with a, what uh, my old team called NARPs, non-athletic regular people. And it was actually, it was, it was a, probably the hardest year, one of the hardest years of my life. Um, not because of my roommates. I, I had some of the funniest and most talented roommates. I lived with an artist. I lived with somebody that seriously should have her own uh, comedy show. And I also was challenged very much so when it came to faith. I, I lived with a, a teammate that had a very strong um, LDS faith and it always kind of put us at odds. And it's not because we didn't care about each other. She's one of the most amazing people I, I know, but um, it was one of those things that it, it was almost kind of a divide. And I, I'm glad now that that didn't ruin our friendship at, in our forties. We're still close friends, but it made both of us, I think probably really look at why we value what we value and why our faith is now our own. And so I think that was one of the big components of my sophomore year. But then, um, we were at Arizona state and we always started the season at Arizona state. And for you guys that have ever played, um, a bat ball sport on the, on the, the dirt, it's very hard. Um, and we were kind of getting lit up one day. Um, and I had spent a lot of time on the ground diving for balls and my back started bugging me. And I thought, no big deal. You know, I'm a collegiate athlete. I, I just some weeks in the training room. I'll be fine. And I started hanging on the training room. I got to know my training staff all too well. Um, and, nothing, uh, nothing, no treatment was getting things better. And we tried a lot of stuff, um, treatments that I'm glad didn't work cause they were awful, but we couldn't really find answers. And I went from being the starting second slash third baseman and playing every game to playing every five game, you know, playing five games and then a game off to the very end of us going to the commerce tournament and not playing at all. And back then I truly could not understand why I was not playing and it was heartbreaking. And I know it was probably hard for my coach, but I was super angry. I was so angry. I wanted to turn in my uniform. I was done. And I put the blame on my coach, which it's not her fault. She didn't injure me. And it's funny because as I became a coach and I went through the same situation with athletes, I had lost a step. But as an athlete, you don't notice it because you're not watching yourself and you're never going to admit that you lose a step. And one of my biggest regrets is the person I used to compete with to play second base, she and I were not very close, honestly, until I stopped playing softball. And which is a loss for me because she was a great person, but we were always competing instead of what one of my assistants went on to say is compete and support. And I really wish that I would have looked at it that differently. So in my sophomore year, at the end of my sophomore year, I went home and I did physical therapy and I lived in a pool and I got in great shape. I was in the best shape of my career and I couldn't wait to go back to the fall and we were going to play up at UW and my, uh, one of my dear friends was going to be playing there and I had the best weekend of my career. I, I was feeling awesome. I moved into an amazing house. I had the best roommates, like nothing could be better. And we got done um, with the fall season and I went into individuals and I took a swing and after about three or four of them, my assistant coach goes, Koss, you gotta, you know, loosen up. And I looked at her and I go, Sarah, I can't. And my back pretty much like went into complete knots. I couldn't really move. Um, and so at that time I, I, uh, 
one of our gymnasts, and if for anybody that knows anything about Utah history, sports history, Utah gymnastics is one of the best programs in the country every year. And so they have a very good trainer and they always get the best of everything, which at Utah, we were lucky to have three hospitals and most of, you know, all of us got the best of everything. But one of our gymnasts had got injured her back. And so I was lucky enough to, to go see her surgeon and they started taking pictures of things and it ended up being that I had a, a malformation in my spine that did not show up until I was 19 years old. And so we did injections and we did so many more crazy things. And a year from the time I first injured my back, I stepped on a field. Uh, actually the first game I, I had a bat cause my head coach was like, Hey, let's just see how it goes. Um, I, I want you to play the Oregon state game. So that night we were playing Oregon state. And to be honest, we were getting shellac. They were just lighting balls up left and right. And around second inning, I looked at my shortstop and I go, Michelle, I cannot feel my legs anymore. And, you know, and as an 18 year old friend, you know, or uh, she was a 19 year old or 18 year old sophomore. What is she supposed to say? Yeah, cause it's fine. I got you. No. Right. What do you say to that? So I walked into the lock or into the dugout. And I looked at my trainers and I said, I can't feel my legs. And to be honest, they, they didn't have the best response, but I had one more at bat and I had gone to my teammate who uh, the other second baseman, I said, Hey, you need to get ready. And my very last at bat, I struck out and I just stood in, and was next to the, the dugout. And I was waiting for my head coach to walk across the field. And I looked at her and I go, I'm done. So it was a year exactly from the first injury so I got home because I couldn't walk really anymore. I, I, I couldn't go to school. Um, I could go to school, but I was in horrible shape. And we finally um, sat down. I, As I say, I was when I look back, I was so blessed because on a Sunday afternoon, I had seven medical professionals sitting around me in a training room. And for you guys that are not in the world of sports, that does not happen. So I had a surgeon and a physiatrist and my... Um, uh, my team doc and my coach and my trainer and my head trainer and my physical therapist, everybody's sitting there. And I said, everybody gets to say what they think I should do. And then I'm going to make a choice. And everybody said their piece. And I looked at my surgeon and I said, we are going to go with this option. And I knew that that was a risk of my career coming to an end. But as I was one of those kids that was like, nobody's going to tell me softball's over till I say softball's over. So I continue to play, which sounds ridiculous, but I really just ran bases and so I ran bases and then, um, cause it took a couple months to get ready for surgery and I had my first spinal fusion and they don't do spinal fusions on 20 year olds, 21 year old division one athletes. It just doesn't happen. And so they did the surgery and I was in this brace that looked, made me look like a stormtrooper. Uh, it was ridiculous. And I, but I couldn't sit down for three months, uh, well, six, six weeks. And, um, so unless I was like in a car, absolutely had to. So I, I went through school looking like I got hit by a truck and I went back to the field as soon as I could. I used, I, they literally had a, um, like a lounge chair in the stand so I could lay on it so I could watch games. And then shortly after, um, I had recovered, uh, supposedly we found out my surgery had failed and so my head coach actually met me at the, the hospital and she had said, uh, she just wanted to see it for herself. And so I ended up having another spinal surgery, uh, a month after the one that, uh, I first had failed and that surgery also did not do very well. And so my senior year over Christmas, I called my head coach and I said, I'm going to retire, which 
was very difficult, but also kind of one of those things that we knew was going to happen. So my senior year, I finished my season more like as an undergraduate assistant, and I went on to become an assistant coach at the University of Utah, which was the dream, right? So I coached there for two years, and towards the end of my second year, I actually got uh, in a car accident with the team. A drunk driver had hit us, and I actually fractured my upper spine. And so I ended up not finishing out that season. And I had decided at the beginning of that second season to leave the University of Utah and leave Division One sports. Because even though I loved it as an athlete, it was not a fit for me as a coach. And to be honest, the coach that I played for, we were not a fit as, as coaches together, which happens, right? And so knowing my injuries, my body could not continue at the Division One level anymore, the schedule. And when I was going to be a division one head coach, when that's what I want to do for a a lifetime, I never planned on wanting to get married or having kids. I was going to do the the division one thing, but then of course a boy shows up and we end up getting married and we move home to Oregon. So then I took over at a small NAIA school called Concordia university, Portland. And I had to go through this massive D one detox because I had no idea what it was to be at small college because I'd been living the the big life for so long. And I was a very, very serious coach, just like I was a very serious athlete. But then I learned very quickly that that was not a match for my kids. And so I had to look at myself and figure out what needed to happen for this team to excel. And I had the two craziest people on my team. I, I This is before we had cell phones that we could be out in the backwoods and they'd still have reception. So we had walkie talkies and these two kids had trucker names and I would laugh so hard. I'm like, you got to stop making me laugh because I'm going to get in an accident. But one day they brought me a poncho, a clear like 99 cent poncho with duct tape on it. And it said coach on the back and Concordia on the front. And I was almost like, you guys are so embarrassing. I can't even stand it. But I took the poncho and then we went off to Idaho and we had a rain delay and we were not playing well. And me, who never wanted to be in front of people, never wanted to be embarrassed, put on this poncho and start dancing with my team. And nothing ever went back to how it was when I first got there. We looked at team as this is going to be a great experience. You guys are going to love each other and we're going to win a lot of ball games. And I really did go back to the summer ball program mentality that I had. And my team went from being, you know, winning six games the year before I got there to being almost 500. And it was a great year for me. And I hope that it was a great year for my players. Now, were some of them going to like me? Yep. And some were not going to like me. Yep. I was the coaching transition, right? I didn't recruit them all. But at that time, I really thought I needed to make all my players happy, which now I know I am going to piss somebody off every single day because they're not going to like what I say because I make a lineup because they're going to disagree with who I put in that lineup or they've been told so long that they are the best and they're not going to agree with me when I don't think they are. So I had to have a lot of growing in that, in that time. So my second year of coaching, I actually got very ill and I spent a lot of the time in the hospital and it was really difficult. I spent more time in the hospital um, during season that I did on the field. And it was hard to hand off my program to somebody else. And it made me really change what I expected out of an assistant and what I, and how I taught them. I mean, at small college, you don't have any money to pay assistance. So they got to have a big heart and really want to do it. And I was able to, to move on and my assistants kept developing. Um, my teams kept getting better. We were able to recruit one, uh, some kids that were the division one level. 
and I learned the way to pick kids that fit and be able to help kids find something that they maybe didn't realize was a good fit for them. You know, some division one kids realize that that's not what they want. You know, some kids realize that their major is more important and they rather focus on nursing school than maybe being at the division one level. I also learned that you could have a much bigger life at a small college. Now for me, like I said, D one was my fit. And I probably couldn't have handled being at a small school as an athlete, but I saw kids go and do great internships, travel abroad. This community was really bought in with each other. It kind of freaked me out for a long time, but I was building my life on this campus. And then I started raising my kids on this campus. And at my time at Concordia, I had a million different jobs from running these huge middle school events to teaching, to getting to some of my favorite things that I got to, um, build leadership classes for student athletes. I was tired of them griping and complaining. So I said, good, you're coming to class. We're going to teach you how to talk to coaches and how to lead your teammates and do all these things. And it really did make a change in all of our athletes. And it really made a big change when it came to behavior at our, at our campus. I had a very supportive first athletic director who really helped me launch into things that I was in way over my head. And I'm very grateful that he trusted me with some of the crazy things he trusted with me. And then I got a new athletic director who was a very young guy and I doubted him very much. Um, uh, and I would say that to his face. And ironically, he was from the University of Oregon. And so you had a 28 and a 29 year old, two kids running the athletic department at Concordia University. Because when I was 28, my first athletic director made me the assistant athletic director. And my job was to do eligibility and it was to do student welfare. It was pretty much to make sure that all of our student athletes got the care and guidance and help they needed when it came to off the field. So I love that job. I love being with student athletes that weren't my own. Not that I didn't love my own. Oh my gosh, I love my own. But I was able to meet so many kids that fell into different sports and had different experiences that I never would have been if I would have stayed at Division One. You know, I look at it now as I met this kid when she was 18 and now you know, 12 years later, she was a, an all-American golfer and our, you know, our families traveled together, right? I've been able to mentor kids, see kids get married, see kids take off in, in, in their careers, have children. And I think for me to have that diverse experience of seeing so many people from so many different things has only made my sports view wider and richer. So my teams continued on. We started winning conference championships. I had some of the best experiences, some of the hardest experience. We finished third in the, in the nation in the World Series the last year we were at the NAI level. And I started really looking at, do I want to be doing this forever? So I had two children at the time. I had a couple years earlier graduated from um, Western Seminary with my degree in counseling, my master's in counseling, because I wanted to go back to school to better serve our students. Student athletes are always... Uh, suspect about going to see a counselor, but if they could sit across from a coach with a counseling degree and eat snacks and lay on her couch, they were more likely to come. And when they first started coming, it was mostly injuries because they knew my story. But then it became, hey, I'm suicidal. Hey, I have an eating disorder. Hey, my anxiety is so high right now for performance, I can barely function. And that's why I chose to go back to school. And my athletic director, the, the young guy that we had grown up together, was so supportive and said, yes, you need to go to school. We need to serve our student athletes. And so many athletic directors say they believe in their student athletes, but they don't always back it up. Matt English totally backed it up. And he supported me through having another baby, going to school, being an assistant AD, and being a coach. And I felt I was way more equipped to help serve 
uh, our student athletes and allowed me to join our crisis team, um, which was very important. We get the late night phone calls of alcohol poisoning or suicide and you're ready to go. And the kids have a place that they feel safe to come to instead of suffering in silence. Like so many student athletes do because they a don't want to admit that they have a struggle. B they're terrified to admit that they do and people will judge them or they don't even know where to go. And maybe the biggest thing that if I get labeled as somebody that has mental health issues, will I lose my scholarship? Will I lose my position on the team? What will coach think? What will my family think? And I wanted a place that it made it okay to not be okay. So towards the end of my time of being a coach, we switched athletic directors and it was a big adjustment for me and not a good adjustment. And I knew that I was probably towards the end of my career because all my injuries and illness had led to a history of chronic pain. And I knew to keep up with the schedule I was keeping up with was going to be almost impossible. And so I went into uh, my first year uh, under my new athletic director and I was coaching, I, we, we moved to the division two level and it was a very different experience for me. I was very close to the coaches in the Cascade Conference, some of the best people I know. I mean, shoot, I could text the, the commissioner, not even think twice. And I love that environment and I never appreciated it until I left it. I went into a conference that was not as much my mindset, not as much kind of the values that uh, I, had, I had been in. It was definitely a little bit more cutthroat. The travel was more significant. And I was realizing very quickly that I was not a match with my new administration. And I also knew that my body couldn't keep going much longer. And I was missing so much of my children's life. And so I left, left coaching. And honestly, I left coaching not on my own accord. And at some point I will talk about that a little bit more, but it was one of those situations that so many coaches are running into that the players are taking control and administrations are not a match and something derails your career. But I'm also grateful that I was pulled out of a situation that I don't know if I was been brave enough to walk away on my own. As I say, sometimes we just get pretty stubborn as coaches and I also have this obscene loyalty so even though it was hard to leave Concordia in the matter that I did, I'm grateful every day that, you know, life was strong enough to pull me out or God was strong enough to pull me out. So I looked at my life and I go, well, I do have this education. I spent all this time going to school. I might as well use it. But I always knew that athletes was where my heart was. So I did not want to, be, I wasn't a sports psychologist. My degree is not in sports psychology. I was a counselor. I was a licensed mental, or I wasn't licensed yet, but I was a mental health professional. And I actually went and worked at my husband's firm and I rushed through getting my licensure as soon as possible. Cause to be honest, I didn't like regular counseling. I didn't want to be in an office. I wanted to be doing my own thing. I wanted to be helping student athletes and any shape or form that looked. And I knew it wasn't going to be in a traditional office. So after leaving coaching, I was beyond ridiculous and I started coaching high school, even though I knew I truly needed a break. I felt that in so many ways I was obligated to use all my skills to, to give to somebody else instead of holding on to them. So I coached high school for two years and it was a crazy experience in a way that I did learn that high school is probably not my love affair. But I was also blessed to meet amazing assistant coaches, amazing athletes, and see the world of sport through a totally different lens that I'd ever been through. And I still am fortunate to keep in touch with so many of them and to watch them go through the struggle of, of coaching transitions and, and accepting me as their head coach. It's difficult. You don't plan on those things happening. You know, it allowed me to see what high school administration looks like, what coaching high school parents looks like. 
it's just different. And I'm glad I had that experience and I'm glad I got to build the great relationships out of that. So then I decided to walk away and I also decided to walk away from um, my husband's practice and I started my own. And I wanted to focus on working with student athletes or young people that had chronic pain. And in reality, it's, it's one and the same. There's no athlete that doesn't struggle with pain every single day. But I didn't want to just sit on the couch. And I, as I say, I love sitting across my clients. I love elite athletes. I love talking to 11-year-olds that have big dreams of sports or watching how their, their sport impacts their life. But performance is not my number one focus with my athletes because they do not walk into my office to shoot better, to dribble better, to hit the ball better. They come to my office because they have stuff, whether it's chronic pain, whether it's trauma, sexual abuse, crazy parents, it doesn't matter. They come in to get help with their stuff so they can perform better. And that's one of the biggest things I've learned through my whole journey is this isn't about making performance better. It's about making people better so they can go and perform. But so often we look at athletes as, you know, that thoroughbred pony and how are they going to serve us? Whether it's youth sports, which I also coach, I've coached Little League and I've done the whole ASA thing and I do clinics for a semi-pro baseball team that we do softball. So I've seen every level from eight-year-olds to my oldest player was 23. I've seen it all. And it really all comes down to they're just kids playing a game because they loved it in the beginning. The big thing that impacts their performance is all the stuff they carry along during the journey. So I wanted to start this podcast and I love public speaking and teaching. And so I'm also, you know, engaged in those activities because I want coaches and parents and athletes to know that all this is just how do we get better at life? How do we get better at relationships? How do we get better at teaching? And how do we get better at dealing with the struggle, the self-ownership, building community and communication? If we can really get better at all those things, the world of sports would go back to being something that is fun and something that is still crazy competitive. But when kids turn that 13 or 14, they don't start questioning if they should keep playing. They go, oh my gosh, this is my passion. I will do anything to continue it. But right now, mostly adults, we're taking that away from them. And we need to look at our athletes and athletes, you need to look at yourselves in the same way that you are people first, performers second. And if you are not a healthy person in healthy relationships and with healthy behaviors, your performance is never going to get to the level that you want it to be. So parents and coaches, I also say to you, instead of always worrying about your kiddos performance, your athletes performance and how it impacts you, how it makes you look with your friends or man, my team, my son just was all state or, Hey, I've got to win so many games to keep my contract. These kids need to be people first. Them being people first will help them build relationships, build respect and step up their game. Not because they are anxious that if they don't, they're going to get thrown to the side. It's because they choose every day to get better for themselves, for their team and for whoever is leading them. And that is really where the direction of sports needs to go. Right now we're a little lost and we've been lost for a while. But I have faith that we can get back on the straight and narrow 
and get sports to be the great thing in our culture, not another thing that brings stress or division. Something that is takes us back to the old days when everybody just wanted to go play ball on the 4th of July and just enjoy the experience instead of always chasing something bigger and better. It really needs to be chasing the perspective of how you look back at your career and go, even though it was short, it was the best experience of my life. If you are a coach or an administrator and want Coach Cause to meet with you or your team, you can contact me at www.trainingthecompleteathlete.com.